Welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. All right. Welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. I have Dr. Abbas House here today, and uh, we're just going to call you Dr. Lisa. Provides caring, compassionate health care for women in every stage of life. She connects to her patients personally, and she's been through all of these stages of life that she can relate to her patients and, and everything that they're going through. Lisa frequently sees patients for their annual pap smear, for GYN exams, birth control, and you work for the Rubino OBGYN group. So welcome. So good to see you here today and to talk about uh, these important issues around women's health. You know, I know it's been important in my own life. And we talked a little bit before we went on air about um, the importance of getting all of your annual testing. And during the pandemic, a lot of people had kind of put things like that on the back burner to care for their families or, you know, working from home and just our lives shifted so much that some of the got lost. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about your journey and how you got into this work. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? And then when you did go to medical school, you know, how did you choose this particular profession? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And yes, as, as a dear friend, it's, it's nice to talk to you and talk about what I do and what's a big part of my life. So um, in terms of how I got here, I, remember from a young age, always wanting to go into medicine, just having that in my, um, in my soul that I just wanted to help people. I wanted to go into medicine. Um, it really was something, um, that I always wanted to do. I had some role models in my life. I have an uncle who's a physician and he was, I was very close to him growing up when I was younger, we lived near each other and he was definitely a big part of, um, of a role model for me that, made me want to go into medicine. And then as I, you know, approached college and went the pre-med track and was um, definitely focused on medicine, wasn't sure what field I would go into. In fact, I started out as a general surgeon. I got into a residency program, um, an internship in general surgery. And after one year, I realized that wasn't for me. It was very male dominated. Um, it was a uh, focused on cardiac surgery, open heart surgery. And that was just so far from what I really saw myself doing. So I had done a rotation in obstetrics and gynecology, and I just felt so connected to that. Mm. So I switched from the general surgery to the OBGYN field. And, um, I just felt like that was such a great fit for me. And it really has been an amazing career for me. I just feel so lucky and so privileged and blessed that I'm able to help women, go through all the stages of life, especially at this point in my career, when I'm towards the end of it. And I've gone through the puberty, the childbirth, the menopause, I've gone through everything. So I feel like I'm really able to help people every stage of the way. And it's very rewarding and very satisfying. What's your favorite part of your day with, with seeing patients? That's a good question. My favorite part of the day is when I see patients that I know very well, and we reconnect that we can catch up. I know little details about their lives and it's not really just about treating their healthcare. It's really about getting to know them 
In fact, sometimes I almost feel like a therapist in a way, in a good way. Yeah. You know, they, re- they, they tell me their secrets and I give my advice, not just from the medical perspective, but from the personal perspective. And I really feel that connection and it just brings it all around and it makes me feel so gratified at the end of the day. Mm. I also really enjoy the people I work with. I feel like that's a big part of someone's career and job. And we have amazing people, amazing staff. I feel very connected to the people I work with. So it makes it enjoyable to go into work, you know, during the day. Yeah. That is so important uh, Mm -hmm. to, to be surrounded by, you know, a work environment that is uplifting and supportive and yeah. So it sounds like there's two sides to it. Not only is your office staff and the people that you work with, supportive, but then you also connect with your patients on this really deep personal level. And what I'm hearing too, is that you have a journey with them. I know that two of my, you know, well, one teen and one 20 year old daughter both come to see you. And so do you find that, that you get to journey with like a young woman through, Mm -hmm. you know, the teen years of of thinking about, you know, personal care and maybe birth control as they move into their twenties and, and then, you know, then moving into wanting to have children Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the birth process. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of it. I see a lot of young women that are, you know, around 16 years old, and I do follow them through over the years um, to the point where they're thinking about, we go through the, you know, pregnancy prevention stages and the, um, you know, keeping safe habits and safe sex and things like that to the stages where they're planning their families and the preconception care and really giving them optimal health and, and, you know, timing is crucial for those things and talking to them and counseling them about those things through their pregnancies and then their postpartum stages. So it really is rewarding to see my patients year after year. Um, And I will say, even for the patients that I are new to me, um, they come in with their problems and their issues. And I just do my best to try to help them and just really figure out the best, you know, solutions. And we have so much technology in our office. I feel like we're very sophisticated with what we do and we can really approach it from the scientific point of view and just offer them the best care. And I feel very rewarded that, you know, we come up with great solutions for everybody. So yeah, it's, it's really amazing. I would also add too that you have a great bedside manner that you put people at ease. You're not an alarmist. There, there's a very mm-hmm. calm feeling about you. So even at times where, you know, when I've seen mm-hmm. you over the years for different things and something maybe comes up mm-hmm. that you, you're so professional and just keep such a, uh, an mm-hmm. even way about yourself when, you know, I I'm pretty calm, but then <laughs> I don't like, I get that white coat syndrome and I get nervous, even though it doesn't even make any sense that I don't even need to be nervous. It's something that's just so basic, like a basic appointment, but um, you, you do have that nice way of always keeping things level and, and calm. And so I appreciate that too. Thank you for mentioning that. And that's a big part of it because when you come to your gynecologist, it's such a vulnerable position that you're in to begin with. And so you're not alone. A lot of people come in nervous, anxious, even when nothing's wrong, they just think they have cancer or, you know, they just think the worst. Um, And so most people are, are like that. And so you really, in my position, realizing how vulnerable they are. And I've been on the other side, so I can really relate to that. I've been on the other side and I know how it feels. So I just try to do my best to really 
put everybody at ease and tell them, you know, it's okay. Most of the time, everything's okay, but we're here to help if it's not. So yeah. Yeah. And that's the important part. You're there to help if it's not. And yeah, uh, let me just go back to the beginning. I was talking about the pandemic and maybe people putting off these really critical, important appointments um, that we should be taking care of. And, and we said that in, during the pandemic, that is women and mothers and caretakers that we put ourselves last on the list often. But what I'm hearing is that it's, it's so important to, to get those appointments, but also I'm wondering if the, you're sensing that the anxiety level is even higher because I've put it off for two years. I was supposed to, or I was supposed to come two years ago and mm-hmm. I didn't have that appointment. And, you know, maybe we use the pandemic as an excuse to not go. I'm not sure, but psychologically, are you finding that there's an increased stress level among women in the anxiety of com- just coming in for that appointment because we've been putting things off for so long? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, the the women, I think, have felt so much stress these past two years. You know, not only are they having to work, but now work from home, take care of the kids at the same time, try to keep with, up with their health. It's overwhelming. And so a lot of times if they don't have signs or symptoms of something, let's say either a breast issue or a cervical issue off, um, I feel like the stress in the women, I don't, I don't go through a single day where I don't have multiple women tell me their level of stress has increased over the past year or two. So it's really, um, amazing. You know, it's, it's hard for them to get through. I try to refer them. I try to do what I can in my small office space, but if they need referrals for um, therapy or psychiatrists, then I do refer them out because it's, I think that's so important to keep up with your mental health. And yeah, definitely, definitely to, to mm-hmm. keep up with that. And there's no shame in that. None. Um, what do you suggest to the average person who doesn't necessarily need therapy or something like what are what are your suggestions for uh, women that are trying to cope with with everything that we just mentioned? Mm-hmm. Well, it's important to try to take time for their, themselves, you know, whether it's through exercise, you know, walking, meeting with friends, having just a coffee with a girlfriend, um, whatever makes them feel like they can have time for themselves, just taking a bath or having a cup of tea, you know, taking the time out to do that, I think is so important. Yeah. And also connecting with people like you, you know, if you have f- friends that are going through the same thing or relatives or, you know, just depend on those people and reach out to those people. I feel like that's so important. Yeah. And you and I know what a good laugh can do for, <laughs> for your day. But exactly. I, I do also feel, you know, at least through my eyes with the work that I do with, with a lot of women is that mm-hmm. they're that taking a bath seems indulgent, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, oh, but I'm supposed to be taking care of others and taking a bath mm-hmm. or doing those things seems indulgent. And I would encourage you to do those things and see how you feel in your body after, because after you know, see if you feel more at ease and more relaxed. And then if, if the answer is yes, then add more of that in where you can, you know, if you have to get up earlier or whatever, whatever it is to do that. So what would you say about, about cervical cancer prevention? You know, what, what do we do to prevent that? So that is a big part of what I do. Um, I do annual exams, which includes an annual pap smear. And the pap smear is a screening test for cervical cancer. And cervical cancer is preventable. You know, it's one of the cancers that we do have a well tried and true screening process for. So um, 
there really is um, an excellent screening procedure in place, the pap smear. It screens for cervical cancer, it screens for precancer, it screens for HPV, which is the human papillomavirus. That's the virus that has been linked to cervical cancer. And there have been so many advances recently. We now have a vaccine against cervical cancer. It's called the Gardasil vaccine, which is recommended um, for young women starting at age 11. Um, to receive the, the vaccine, the Gardasil vaccine. So it is entirely preventable. So that really is a big part of my day. I see a lot of women for their annual checkups. That's when they come in for their pap smears. So we can detect if there's any precancer and it can be detected early so that it is definitely preventable. And Lisa, you mentioned bef- before we started to record the podcast, you had mentioned that cervical cancer doesn't always have symptoms. Mm-hmm. And it can be missed and that the, the, this test is so critical for us to make the time for it. Yes, that's right. There are ver- very rarely symptoms with cervical cancer. The only way you would know that you have that or a precancer is with a pap smear. Um, the late stages of cervical cancer may present with vaginal bleeding, pelvic pain, things like that. But in the precancer stages, you will not have any symptoms. So the thing to do is, is get your pap smear. Um, it's recommended to start getting them at age 21. Typically, um, the recommendation for how often the pap smears are given has changed over the years. Uh, if you're someone who always have, has had normal pap smears, you can space it out to three years, even five years, three to five years, if, you're, if you've consistently had normal pap smears in your life. However, when you're a young girl, when you're 21, you should get it annually. Is it more prevalent at a younger age? Is that why? Or... So cervical cancer has been shown to be linked to the HPV, the human papillomavirus, which is a sexually transmitted virus. So women who have multiple partners um, will be at a higher risk to get more of the HPV viruses. So that's why the younger women, it's it's more prevalent in the younger age group, um, just due to the fact that they're having more sexual activity. When you're older, you're more likely to be monogamous. And so your risk for developing it does go down. That's interesting. So let's move from that part of the body to, to the breast uh, exam. So that's part of, part of what you do when that somebody has that annual checkup, but you also Mm -hmm. highly recommend mammograms, obviously. Yes. So we do the breast exam and we start those young too. We teach the young women um, to do their self breast exams at home, which is recommended to do it um, once a month. Um, And things can be detected with the self breast exam. Sometimes there are lumps or cysts. And most of the time it does turn out to be nothing either. A hormone related cyst is very common and those typically go away, but it's important to be aware of your breast health. There are one in nine women do develop breast cancer in a lifetime. And so it is very important to start the self-breast exams and then the mammograms, starting at age 40, um, getting a mammogram once a year. However, if there's a strong family history, then we might recommend getting a mammogram at a younger age. Uh, I would also add that we, when we talked earlier, you had mentioned that the breast can also be, no symptoms, Right. Same as for cervical cancer and that, that those right. annual exams, mammograms are, are really critical to our health and, and preventative of it progressing. Right. And, exactly. And exactly going back to the pandemic where so many of us put off these critical appointments, including myself, I'm, I'm, I'm all caught up right yeah. now, but, but yeah. I, you know, I, I did the same thing. I just kind of put off the mammogram and, and then the anxiety of going was different mm-hmm. than it was once a year, because once a year you think, okay, well, 
if they caught something on this mammogram and last year's was fine, you know, hopefully it wouldn't have progressed that much. But then when you go two, three years, mm-hmm. um, it's really uh, can be a lot more dangerous or things could have progressed unnecessarily, yeah. you know. Very true. Yeah. A lot of these, like, like you said, the breast and the cervix, they, those cancers don't necessarily have signs or symptoms. And so a lot of women think, oh, I'm fine. I feel fine. I can put it off. Um, I'm busy. I'm stressed. I'm, I'm going to put it off. Um, but it's so important to get those screening tests because you just may not know um, until it's at a much later stage. Yeah. And then you would develop like a mass in your breast that you would feel, but that would be, um, you know, beyond the detection that would have occurred with the mammogram. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about infertility or really, you know, so you were saying you see younger women who mm-hmm. want birth control and then you're moving into this period of where you're leaving that behind and then wanting to start a family. Um, you and I are both mothers of four kids. Mm-hmm. We both have four kids and around the same ages. And I personally, and, and this is just from my witnessing and working with uh, women, seems like fertility is, there's more infertility issues now than there were back when you and I were, were starting out having our families. Is that true? Or would you? Um, You know, I think that that's a good question. I feel like science has advanced so much in the fertility aspect that, um, there is so much that has been um, done over the years. So I feel like, you know, one of the factors is that women have delayed their childbearing. They're very focused on their careers. They may not even try to have a child until way into their thirties when years ago it was more into their Mm twenties. So I think that's a big factor because there is something to be said about you know, the, the lifetime of the ovaries, you know, that, that is, as you age, it does get harder to get pregnant. So I think that is a big factor. And I also feel like, um, women who may not have, there were no options for them. And so they just didn't pursue it. Um, but now, um, there are so many options. There are so many that can get pregnant with reproductive endocrinology help that, it is, it's a booming field. It's incredible what can be done. That makes a lot more sense than what I was thinking of like, wow, is it something in the environment that has changed? But it just seems to me, but that makes sense. It's really modern. And, and if I think back about having my first, who's now 25, you almost, that was finding, you know, taking those home pregnancy tests and finding out the mm-hmm. sex of the baby, all of that was, was very new. And a lot of people were saying, well, I'm not going to find out the sex. And, and now it's sort of just the norm, or even as I progressed in having my children, you know, I saw mm-hmm. the, the changes. So I can see what you're, what you're referring to. So we went from young, young woman to trying to get pregnant. And then, you know, obviously uh, you and I are, are on the other side of, of menopause. I'm glad I went through menopause very early. So I'm grateful that I was even able to have the four kids that I had. I think about that sometimes, you know, I was in my mid forties, I think. And remember talking to you about it and saying, oh, it's kind of weird, right? And, and uh, so I was in like perimenopause. Um, so I just thought we could talk about that a little bit. What are some of the symptoms of that and that w- women could look out for? And Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of women come in with their menopause complaints. You know, there definitely are symptoms. There's hot flashes, insomnia, vaginal dryness, just mood swings, things like that. Um, however, what I tell them and the way I see it is we have to embrace it because this is a point in our lives where, first of all, we don't have to worry about not getting pregnant anymore. You know, those years 
those years are gone and it is de definitely the natural cycle of life. And like any other stage, we have to enjoy it and embrace it. And yes, it may have its annoyances, um, but in the scheme of things, it's really okay. Um, it's part of the aging process. And it really is, really, I, I see it as a beautiful thing. We're at this point in our lives where we don't have to worry about so many things. We can just be ourselves. And um, there are things we can help with the hot flashes, the dryness, definitely. We can help you with that. But um even if there's weight gain or distributions of weight, that's okay. <laughs> you know, you're yeah, still, no, I love, I love your whole attitude about this because, you know, maybe there is a sense of, you know, when we transition into our different chapters in our life or different phases, mm -hmm. and we've been talking about different phases of life, mm -hmm. that there's a mourning, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not a young woman anymore. And you kind of, but what I'm hearing you say is don't resist it you know, yeah. lean into right. it and say, oh, well, this is the next chapter. And, you know, childbearing years, I thought were pretty stressful. You know, it's scary. I, somebody I know that I work out with sister had a baby on Monday and, you know, mm. there was, everything's fine, but the baby yeah. wasn't coming and there was a C-section mm. and she was in labor mm -hmm. for a really long time. And I, you forget it kind of brought back those memories of, oh, wow, I'm glad I'm through all of that. And, and now I don't mm -hmm. have to worry about any of it. Right. So, um, but I love that attitude of really embracing it versus, you know, people coming in like, Oh, I don't want, you know, I don't want to feel like this, or I didn't have a lot of the hot flashes and things like that is how common is that? So that is actually very common. Um, the levels of estrogen are dropping and that's what triggers your brain to have these hot flushes that just kind of come across your body, move up to your face and they come out of nowhere. And they can be very embarrassing, especially if you're working or if you're in a social situation, they can be embarrassing, very uncomfortable. Um, so they, some women get them very severely. We definitely have treatments for that and very good treatment. So how long does one last? The hot flash itself yeah. usually only lasts about one to two minutes. Okay. So it's, it, it's quick, but it can come and go at, without any moment's notice that, you know, if you're in a big board meeting, if you're, you know, in a situation like that, and you just, you literally can see drops of sweat, you know, beating up on your face. And especially with men in the room, it's, it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. So for those situations, um, I do prescribe medications. I like to start out with natural remedies first, because there really are some very effective natural remedies that help with hot flashes. And then if necessary, we do give prescriptions for that. And it's usually um, a phase that they're going through. So it's not going to be the rest of your life. Um, usually it lasts about six months or so, sometimes longer, but um, it is something that we can definitely help women with. And wow, very being a woman is tough, Lisa. It's, <laughs> it's I so know. tough. All of these issues that we've been talking about you know, it just, it's just like dawning on me is that my mm -hmm. husband's never experienced any of these things. No. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. So, so kudos to us for, for being okay. able to persevere and move through all of these different stages of life. And with the help of, of, of somebody, you know, on our team, like I always say, like, I, I couldn't raise, I live in a town where I didn't have my immediate family and <laughs> And you found surrogate people and I found, you know, the perfect pediatrician who I could call all the time. And it's the same with you is like having somebody like you that I can talk to about these issues that we need to build that team, you know, and not do it alone, that we need community and, and support, yeah. you know, when we're going through these things, because it's not easy stuff. <laughs> not easy. 
stuff. And as women, we really are, we kind of have a lot on our shoulders and we take on a lot and we do a lot. So we definitely need that extended community to help us out. Yeah. So because you, uh, you have this great family, I've always admired you as a mom and as a friend and, you know, you have a great relationship, you know, marriage, a lot of fun, a lot of laughing in your house. And I always ask people sort of at the end of the podcast or at the end of the conversation, you know, what words are they living by and, um, or what are, what's their favorite phrase or mantra and what you shared with me you know, instead of, instead of that, which I loved because you mix, you're mixing it up. And this is something that's really important to me too. And I hope that young women who are listening to this, um, really take this practice. Uh, you said our family dinners are sacred. We always make an effort to cook and eat together. We spend that part of the day cooking, eating, cleaning together. And as we do, so we catch up on our day and spend that time together. It's not really a quote, but it's something that we live by. So can you talk a little bit about that? Why your family life is, you know, that part, that health of it, you have a healthy family life too, but it's intentional. This is intentional and not easy to do with four kids. So can you talk to that a little bit? So um, I've always also, like many working women, have struggled with balancing career and family. So my family has always been my priority. Um, so over the years, you know, with the four kids and the busy career and the husband in this direction, the time to come together was always dinner time. So when my kids were all living at home, we just made it such a priority to stop what you're doing, stop your homework after your activities, just come home and we're going to have our family dinner and catch up on everybody's lives. And now as my kids are now older, they've learned to, they love to cook some more than others, (laughs) but I do have several chefs in my home, which I love. And so they enjoy the cooking. I love watching them cook. And then we all get together. We cook together. We spend time in the kitchen and we catch up on each other's day. And that is such a priority in our life right now even more so now that they're older because they participate instead of just calling them to the dinner table, they're actually calling me to the dinner table. Mm. And it's so nice to see that turnaround. Yeah. And it just makes me um, so proud of them. And just so that it keeps our family close and tight. Um, Yeah. Some, I think it was uh, this theologian, Henry Nowen once said that so much more happens around the table than just breaking bread. And I couldn't agree with that more because what I'm hearing you say is that it's the catching up, finding out what's happening in each other's lives, talking about world events, I'm sure. I mean, that's sort of what we do. And there's so many conversations that happen around the dinner table with my family that we would never touch on. And we're collectively all together. Like we have a family group chat and that's fun. And we send a lot of pictures and little updates and, oh, did you hear about this? But there's something about sitting down in community with one another and making that time. Um, yeah. yeah. And how, how, what would your suggestions be for having found the time for that? Because I get a lot of resistance around this suggestion with, with some of the groups that I lead people are like, Oh, that sounds so great, but. Yeah. You just have to carve it out. Honestly, you really do. You have to think ahead as a woman, you have to plan your day from you know the minute you wake up. Yeah. So there are times when if I had to go to work and we were busy all day, I would just run to the grocery store first thing in the morning and make sure that everything is set for the end of the day. You really do have to be a planner. But I, I got that, I 
made that part of my schedule and always have. It's just in my schedule over the years to make sure what's our dinner plan, what time will it be, and make sure everybody can come together. And if there, of course, there are circumstances where they can't, and that's fine, but the majority of us can be there and, and partake in. And you know what happens too over time is that it becomes the norm and the expectation. And that's why you were saying you're seeing the shift in it of people, you know, older kids in our, in our lives, picking up the pieces or wanting to, you know, mm-hmm. one of my kids is into it and she'll be in the kitchen <laughs> helping me and, oh, what are we having? And, and, you know, oh, maybe we could add this to it. And, and then, so then the two of us spend a lot of time in the kitchen together yeah. and that's sacred time, I think, you know, and bonding and, and you can talk yeah. about other important things in life that you might not normally talk about. So it's really important to, uh, to do that practice. And I love that you do that. And I love that we're, we're closing with that because I think it says a lot about you and your personality and, and what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And then I think that spills over into your work life. And so you've got your home life, you've got your work life with the people that mm-hmm. you work with, and then you have your patients. And mm-hmm. I see that you carry all of that into all three, sort of this full circle of, of the work that you do. And I, I really admire that. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pam. Yeah. And, and tag on one last thing to that with the older children partaking in all the cooking and they're teaching me so much. I feel like I'm learning from them. You know, for so many years, we taught them things and we helped them grow. And now they're teaching me. And I just love that. And that you're open to it too, because so many women want to stay in that teaching role. And we also like, like shifting into menopause, you know, we, we manage our kids' lives and then there's a shift where we have to let go of that managing it and sort of watching them manage theirs and, but participating in it and and being a part of that um, is the natural evolution of it. And, And it goes back to what you were saying about menopause is like, don't resist this stage of life, embrace it is what I heard you saying, because we go in, we're like, fix this. I don't, I don't want this. And mm-hmm. what you're saying is, okay, this is the natural progression of life. And it is same within our houses with our kids. That's the natural progression. And you're, you're giving them permission to, uh, I, a lot of women like to be in charge, I guess, you know, of their yeah. households. And what I'm hearing is that you're kind of sitting back and enjoying and watching, you know, watching them blossom. So that's a beautiful part of it too. Yeah. What would be your parting words for women advice for, for women today and in these crazy times that we're in, you know, the news overnight and the pandemic, and it's just kind of feel like we're at a stage in life or in in history where just things are just really coming at us. I know it's overwhelming. It really is. And I, I understand what everybody's going through. It's really hard. I feel like my parting advice is just reach out to others. You know, you're not in it alone. We're all in it together. Um, Make sure you have the support that you need. And if you don't, then reach out and get it. You know, you have to make the time for yourself. Like we said, you have to definitely get the ancillary help that you need. um, And just don't be afraid to reach out. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> so nice. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was really nice here and good to see you. I'm Pam Rotelli Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at talkingjoy.org. 
And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.